Hello and welcome to The Story, a podcast where great stories are shared and told. Do you love being immersed in drama, romance and suspense? Do you like to forget about the world you live in and step into someone else's world? Do you like to fall in love with characters that seem so real that you can identify with them and you just can't stop thinking about them? Well, you have come to the right place. This is a podcast that does just that. I narrate my second book, Rise of a Source Survival, where each week I read out a chapter of my book and I encourage other writers to join me in sharing some of the stories they have written. It's all about support and listening to a good story. So join us and embark on a journey of storytelling. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you've all had a wonderful week. We've been busy being puppy parents and there is a lot of work looking after these little angels, but we absolutely love doing it. So it has been pretty full on for us this week. Okay, today is our last episode for Book 2, Rise of a Survival. I will be doing a bonus episode next week and we'll be doing a Season 3 for Book 3 the week after that. Book three is the final book in the trilogy. I really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast and it would be great if you could share it with a friend or family member that would love to listen to a good story. Okay, today's quote is by Oprah Winfrey. There is no checkbook that can equal the feeling of contentment that comes from being the person you are meant to be. I love this quote and it really resonates with me. I love writing and feel that, the per- that this is the person I'm meant to be, a writer. How about you? Are you living a life that allows you to be the person you were meant to be? I think this is an important question you should ask yourself. There is no checkbook that can equal the feeling of contentment that comes from being the person you were meant to be. You should make this quote visible, where you can look at it every day. Also, if you have a quote that you would like to share, send it to me. I would love to hear it and share it on the podcast. Okay, let's do a quick recap on last week's episode, An Early Arrival. The seer mind travels and sees sees for himself the vast army of a saw that is rapidly approaching. When he returns back to his physical physical body after mind traveling, they begin to plan and strategize a battle plan. Serenity is to help with infiltrating the general's minds, and the forest will unite to fight a common enemy. Eleanor is to lead the most vulnerable to safety, and the chapter finishes with Ada suddenly picking up that the Asaur are less than an hour away, causing a wave of panic to ripple through the village. I can't wait for you all to listen to today's chapter, so get comfy everyone, and enjoy the last chapter of Rise of a Saw, Survival. Merrick rang the horn, calling for all to go to their stations, like they had practised so many times. Amzi and his group had raced to the tree line once they'd been alerted to the Saw's early arrival. Eleanor could not stop shaking as she placed the twins in the carry bag that she would strap to her back. She thought she had more time, but things had taken an abrupt turn. Nori! Merrick strode into the room. Sweat beaded his forehead, and his face had gone a ghastly white. Merrick! Eleanor ran and embraced her husband. Merrick held her for a moment before cupping her face with his hands. Pressed his mouth against hers. Eleanor melted, her heart racing wildly. Merrick pulled himself away. Have to leave, Nori. They will be here soon. Follow the tunnel the trees have made for you. There will be a cave at the end, like Ulrich described to you. You must wait there, and I will meet you with our children. Promise me, Merrick. Please, promise me. Eleanor began to cry. She felt sick with dread and of the unknown. The thought of losing all that was dear to her was almost too much. 
Nori, you have to be strong. Please don't cry. I promise I will be there. Before Eleanor could reply, he crushed his mouth against hers. One of the twins began to fuss and Merrick turned his attention to his baby daughters. Be good for your mama, he said gently, as he bent down and kissed each one of them. A strong, pungent smell drifted in the air, making the people of the hidden village gag. Crea led, led Eleanor and the group of 30 people to the entrance of the tunnel that lay on the furthest side of the village. The trees had begun a fervent whispering. Their enemy had arrived. Eleanor cast a brief look back at the village that had been her home for the last several months. She had not had a chance to say her farewells to Ulrich or Ada. Ada and the seer had fled down a different tunnel, making haste to find the queen of the Asaur. She covered her mouth. The smell was overwhelming. As, she, as her gaze swept over the small houses that were dotted in the distance, she saw one of the Asaur break through the undergrowth. It held a flaming torch, and as she watched... It threw it at one of the wooden homes. The small timber house caught a light, sending flames up into the bright blue sky. She watched transfixed as she made out Talit race towards it, his sword drawn. More of the saw came crashing through the undergrowth, a stampede of murderous beasts. How will we ever win a battle with so many? Her mind raced as terror gripped her. Kriya and the others also had turned their attention to the battle that was breaking not far from where they stood. Talat plunged his sword into the beast as it wheeled its mount to turn and face him. Another of the Asaur raced towards the warrior, intent on bringing him down. Merrick and some of his warriors had come to the forefront, swords drawn as they met them head on. Eleanor, we have to go. Crea touched Eleanor's arm, but she ignored her. She was so engrossed in watching the battle ranged behind them. Crea directed the group to start their way into the tunnel. They had to move before they were seen. More of the assault spilled from the trees. Eleanor stood transfixed, unable to drag her eyes away from the murderous scene. One of the Asaur had come behind Merrick, an evil grin stretched upon its hideous face. It raised its sword, and intent on bringing down the leader. Merrick! Eleanor could not help but call out to her husband. He could not heal her. She was too far away. Crea turned as she heard Eleanor scream out her brother's name. Talat had seen the Asaur and rushed to defend his best friend. The heavy clang of metal could be heard as it rang out in the afternoon breeze. Eleanor covered her ears and continued to watch. Merrick wheeled his stallion to face the Asaur that had almost killed him. Another of the Asaur raced towards Talat, its weapon held low. Merrick saw the evil, saw the evil being as it sprinted towards Talat. He did not have the time to intercept. Instead, he called out, trying to get his friend's attention to the animal that was hurtling towards him. Talat did not hear Merrick's shout, locked in combat with another. Eleanor watched in horror as the blade of the sword that the Asaur carried sliced through the air, decapitating the warrior. No! Eleanor let out a scream. Eleanor, we have to leave now, Crea shouted to her sister-in-law. Edith had been helping the rest of the group into the tunnel, ushering them forward and reassuring her children that they would be safe. She stopped as she heard Eleanor scream and raced back out of the tunnel. She saw Crea making make her way to Eleanor, calling her to leave. The wolf had followed her, only to drop on its haunches, letting out a soft growl its ears flattened against the back of its skull. 
Edith looked in the direction to where the wolf was pointed. One of the Asaur had noticed them. Edith ran towards Crea and Eleanor. Crea, Eleanor, quick, they're coming, we have been spotted. Her voice rang out loud and panicked. Crea looked at her, her wolf, whose growl was becoming louder. She pulled at Eleanor. Move, she shouted. Eleanor dragged her, her gaze away, noticing the Asaur that was galloping towards them. One of the twins let out a wail, awakening her mother's instinct to protect her babies. She felt Crea's pull on her arm and raced towards the entrance of the tunnel. Take them to safety, Crea shrieked at Edith and Eleanor. She waited for them to disappear into the tunnel before racing back to the entrance, her sword ready. Ada and the seer entered the tunnel, holding the torch high to push back the darkness that filled the passageway. They carefully made their way along, pausing to listen if there were any approaching a saw. An eerie quiet greeted them as they moved forward, and it was not long before a strong smell filled the tunnel. The seer was surprised at how close Dardanus had been to where they had lived over the past few months. He wondered if she'd known that they were there, but as quickly as the thought had presented itself, he was even quicker to dismiss it. Now was not the time for reflecting on such things. She is close, Ada said. A dim light danced in front of them. They pushed forward, stealthily, not wanting to attract the attention from a guard. The tunnel twisted and turned, exactly like Ada had dreamt it was. She waited for the voice that had always been there to return, but it remained silent. They edged closer to the light, the smell overwhelming now, and it was all they could do not to cough and gag. Soon voices were heard and they stopped to listen. It became evident that the Queen was in a heated discussion with one of her generals. Ada, the seer whispered, you need to do it now. Ada cocked her head but could not decipher what the Queen was saying. A smile played across her lips as she brought her hands up. It had been a long time since she'd used her powers and she was not even sure if they would work. She waited. Nothing. She closed her eyes, trying to relax and listen to her inner voice. Be patient, Ada, whispered. She smiled, even more. It had not forsaken her. A flame and then another burst from her held-up hands. The flames whipped up and then shot forward, lighting the tunnel. It was not long before she could hear screams and a long, drawn-out cry of anger and pain. Ada continued to shoot forward fire and it engulfed the tunnel in a capsule of heat-spiked fury. She was not sure on how long she should shoot flames, but she continued until the voice once again filled her mind. You have done your job here, Ada. You must return to the battle that rages outside. Ada let her hands rest at her side. They were aching from being held up for so long. It is time to go. The seer had waited patiently and was eager to return to the village they had left behind. Merrick had witnessed the death of one of his longest friends, but he did not have time to acknowledge his grief. There was just too many of them. Emsie had not returned to advise how the traps they had hidden had worked or if they had been successful in slaying some of the assault. He struggled with combating and slaughtering as many as he could. Some rode on the huge beasts, others walked as they crawled from the undergrowth that flanked the village. He sent a quick prayer to the gods that his wife had managed to flee. The Asaur had caught them off guard with how quickly they had made their way to the village. He had seen Zuri briefly as she grinned at his surprise when she had accompanied one of the Asaur as they pushed their way through the tree line. 
The trees swayed and swooshed, their anger evident in the way their branches moved with no apparent wind. Anger and serenity had hidden in the healer's cabin before attempting to get into the minds of the generals. As Anger concentrated, she felt another trying to push her back. She indicated for Serenity to use her mind to find another general. She knew the assault would not be familiar with the novice mind traveller. Serenity forced down the fear that bubbled within her and called upon the courage that was needed to fight the enemy that was consuming them. She strained and forced her mind to find the one that was coordinating the attack and it was not long before she found it. As soon as she entered, she began to hum, consuming the mind of the general that it belonged to. It disorientated him, almost sending him into a mad rage. She felt the mind unravel and struggle to stay in control. The humming would bring on a madness that would leave the brain in a complete state of emptiness, a vacant wasteland of brain matter. Her first victim gave her the confidence to find another as Anja wrestled with the entity that stubbornly tried to block. Eleanor heard the tunnel fill in behind her and she wondered about Kriya. How will she get back to us? She shivered, not letting herself dwell on the what-ifs. Edith led the way, holding the torch, as they made their way along the dark passageway. She gave a quick prayer for the tree, for the trees, who had played such a vital role in saving their lives. She dared not think of Talit. It would be her undoing. She had to stay strong. The tunnel wound itself under Doorhill Pass like a giant serpent. One of the twins began to fuss before letting out a loud cry. She was demanding to be fed. Some of the children began to beg for a rest upon hearing the baby's cry. Edith halted their march, allowing time for a break. Not only were there children and older people, but a few of the women who were heavily pregnant. Spring was not that far away, and many were due with the changing season. Eleanor took off her carry bag, relieved to have a break from the weight of her babies. Anwen was the loudest and always fed first. Annie sucked on her fingers, waiting for her turn. Eleanor, are you okay? Edith peered at Eleanor in the gloom. She held the torch to one side, and Eleanor was able to see her face, puckered in a crease of worry. Yes, I'm fine. How is everyone else? Edith looked at the long line of people. I think they're tired and scared, but that is pretty much understandable. Edith was always forthright and never minced her words. Eleanor was thankful she was with her. Her strength was unwavering. Her son Huxley had wanted to stay and fight the assault, and she was amazed as she kept herself together. She missed Crea. They had no warrior now to defend them. Merrick had given each adult a dagger to have some form of protection. The thought of her husband pulled at her heart and she set yet another prayer to help protect him and all that were fighting the assault. Merrick clashed his sword with the vile creature that attempted to unseat him from his horse. He was beginning to tire as the afternoon began to descend into early evening. They had been fighting all day. Emsey and his group of horsemen had stumbled from the forest, but he had not had a chance to ask him anything. The assault was strong, not only in numbers, but in combat. He had noticed some of the generals jump from their mounts, hands covering their ears and the sides of his heads, of their heads. Merrick smiled when he saw this. His mother and the healer were working their magic. The homes they had built were on fire, lighting the shadows that late, that the late winter evening brought with it. His warriors were also beginning to tire, and many had been slain. It felt there was no end in sight. The trees who had not stopped their discontented effort at the assault began to make the earth tremble. Merrick was surprised at first at feeling the earth begin to move, 
and quickly looked up at the tall trees that graced the sky above him. It was not long before he realised why they had taken to shaking the ground. The Yasaur had set fire to them. The trees were being burned alive and the screeches from the flames were deafening. Merrick cringed as he listened and a heavy sense of pain and loss reverberated through the air. It was the beginning of the end. Ada and the seer stumbled out of the tunnel. A grim scene greeted them. The forest was ablaze and the smell of death hung in the air. Warriors staggered, disorientated and exhausted. The trees were futilely trying to make the ground vibrate, making gaping ho holes in the hope that the Asaur would fall into them. It was a losing battle. Nearly all the large trees were engulfed in flames. The Asaur were making sport of the men that were barely clinging to life. It was apparent that Merrick was losing the fight. Anger simmered and overflowed inside Ada as she desperately searched for her father. Ada, it is time to use your other power, the seer instructed her. At first she was unsure on what he meant before realising that part of her prophecy would be the ma magical powers that she had been blessed with from the gods. She walked over to where she could see one of the Asaur were about to strike a young woman who was desperately trying to defend herself. Ada held up her hands, her rage evident. Her breath came out ragged as she struggled to keep herself under control. Fire did not erupt this time. Instead, it was like a lightning strike that turned the Asaur into a blackened corpse. She smiled. She liked this new power. It was time to put it to work. Sabin had met with Merrick, fighting alongside him as he noted his, noticed his friend beginning to tire. Huxley joined them, his rage and the desire for revenge consuming him. Merrick was thankful his, for his two, two friends. He had started to lose hope. There were just too many of them. As Sabin hacked and cursed at one of the assault, he noticed one of their leaders fall to the ground, his hands holding the side of his head. Aye, looks like Andrew and Serenity are doing their jobs, he shouted at Merrick and nodded in the direction of where the general had fallen. Merrick cast a quick glance at the general, who was now banging his head on the ground. He was grateful that Takio had advised that his seer, who had betrayed him and his people, were only aware of the three that could mind travel. Serenity of would have been a complete surprise. Watching this general succumb to madness raised his spirits and he plunged on, driving his sword into yet another of the assault. He was covered in blood, sweat and filth. His arms ached from the sword. He had left his stallion, finding it easier to fight on his feet. The fire had almost consumed the village and the forest had transcended into a bright orange ball. He suddenly thought about his mother and the healer. They were hiding in one of the houses. He wondered if the house had caught on fire. He quickly looked around to see if he could find someone to go and warn them. He did not want to go himself. He was already a target. He needed someone they would not expect. Desperately, he searched. The battle was starting to slow, and it was too easy to see that the Asaur had the upper hand. He noticed Huxley sparing, sparring with one of the humans who were helping the Asaur. Huxley would be able to find and warn them. He just needed to get to his side. Merrick plunged his sword deep into the Asaur's throat, urgently wanting to finish the beast. He raced to the other side. It was closest to the burning forest, searching for Huxley. He was sure it was him he had seen just a moment ago, locked in a fight with a traitor who had sided with the enemy. He felt the stab of a knife as it slashed across his leg, 
Merrick cried out in agony. He spun round to find who had injured him. Zuri stood in front of him, a murderous look on her face as she lifted the knife high in the air. Merrick had never killed a woman before, but he knew he had no choice. He plunged his sword into her heart before sidestepping and letting her fall to the ground. Bile rose and he swallowed it down. He was locked in a war for survival, one in which his enemies would be brought down. He staggered and half-limped his way to Huxley, who managed to kill the man who was fighting him. Huxley, he shouted. The young man turned to him and made his way to Mary. You need to find Serenity and my mother. They are in danger of being burnt alive. Tell them to hide. They can't be seen or the Assault will know who is making their generals go mad. Hurry! Merrick did not wait for Huxley to respond. Instead, he turned back to the fight, determined to kill every one of the Assault. Ada and the Seer continued their wrath on the Assault, burning them to a blackened crisp. The Seer noticed a Saban leading up against a tree, Blood poured from a wound on his arm. As they approached, they could see how deep the gash was. His muscles and tendons were exposed, and he had already lost a lot of blood. Saban! The seer ran to the curly-haired man and crouched beside him. Saban was losing consciousness and struggled to remain awake. Saban, hold on, it is not your time to go, the seer told him gently. Aye, you would miss me too much. He attempted a chuckle, which resulted in a cough. Saban, even when death was circling him, circling him, tried to make light of it. Ada bent down and stroked the man's face. Saban, we still have work to do. I'll be back with the healer. Try and stay calm. Saban managed his lopsided grin and nodded. He was too weak to talk. Kriya and the wolf rushed at the assault as it threw its head back, letting out a strange guttural sound. Kriya sliced and thrusted at the beast, but it merely sidestepped, dancing away from her advances. Her wolf Romulus lunged, grabbing the beast's wrist, biting down on it and crushing the bones. The assault let out a loud howl, swiping at the wolf and sending him flying. Kriya saw her opportunity and dove her sword into the back of the beast. Her screams of fury echoed through the air. The Asaur turned its, turned, its pain driving it into a madness as it wheeled its own weapon at Kriya. It was her turn to dance as she skittered away. You're going to die, you bastard, Kriya roared. She pivoted and whirled before slicing her sword through the monster's torso. She watched it crash to the ground, a sardonic smile on her lips. She glanced over at her wolf, who was gingerly walking up to her. Romulus, she bent down and petted him. He licked her face, grateful his mistress had not succumbed to the enemy. After checking that her wolf was okay, she straightened and cast her eyes back to the tunnel where she had left Eleanor. One of the Assault was pushing its way in as dirt began to rain down, closing the entrance. She watched horrified as it disappeared. The group of vulnerable people stood no chance. They would all be slaughtered. A feeling of panic enveloped her as she sprinted back to the tunnel. It had been her responsibility to protect them, but their enemy had distracted her. The tunnel was fully closed by the time she got to it. No! She screamed. She tried to dig her way back in, but it was futile. Her mind raced. She was unsure on what to do. Taking a deep breath, she forced her mind to remain calm, to become calm. The forest on the other side of the village was a burning inferno. She looked back to the forest that was on the side of the tunnel. It was untouched. Fire had yet to reach there. 
The trees had created the tunnel to save their fellow humans. The seer had consistently told them it was vital they work together if they were ever to rid the world of the Asur. She looked up from the tunnel entrance. It was hard to tell how far back it went, or even the direction. Romulus, she knelt next to the animal. Find, she ordered. The wolf cocked his head. Find, she said again. The wolf gave a whimper and began to sniff the ground. Kriya urged Romulus forward, showing him that she wanted him to locate where the tunnel went. Romulus headed up an embankment, following the scent of the people Kriya was desperately trying to find. He let out a loud, a low howl before looking over his shoulder to confirm that Kriya was following him. Keep going, boy, good job, she praised. The wolf wagged his tail and continued to trace the tunnel. She had to try and get ahead of the saw and drop back down into the tunnel and surprise him. She gave a quick glance up at the trees, hoping they were understanding of what she understanding of what she was trying to do. A strong wind began to pick up, blowing the arid smell of smoke across the evening sky. Kriya coughed. The smell was strong and almost overwhelming. She leant up against one of the tall oak trees, trying to get her breathing under control and stop her incessant coughing. Romulus whined when he saw his mistress and waited for her to follow him. Kriya placed her hand on the rough bark of the tree, steadying herself. A vibration pulsed through the trunk, forcing her to pull her hand away in surprise. She looked up at the tree. Its heavy limbs reached upwards as if sending a prayer to the gods above. She coughed again. Her lungs had consumed a large dose of the toxic smoke. Tell me where to go, she asked in a hoarse whisper. She placed both hands on the tree. The pulsing was becoming stronger. She leant closer. Had she heard a whisper? A buzzing could be heard like a hive of bees. Kriya placed her ear to the rough bark. Kriya, follow the wolf until you reach the stream. Kriya pulled away, her heart pounding. She placed her ear back to the trunk, making sure she had heard right and was not dreaming. The tree said the same thing over and over. The wind blew stronger, whipping the smoke through the air, making Kriya cough again. Romulus! Let's go, she managed after she had regained control of her breathing. Huxley ran from burning house to burning house, frantically trying to find the one that was not on fire. The Assault were burning everything, intent on removing every fabric of mankind that they could. He ducked and weaved, careful not to be noticed, but time was running out. There was less than half of the warriors that had started when the Asaur had first made their appearance through the forest. The ones remaining were starting to tire and lose hope of winning the battle to survive. If the Asaur got to Serenity and Anger, it would be over. He raced to the edge of the village and looked for the house that sat apart from the others. He knew Serenity liked to have some quiet when she was not seeing people and having her home located some distance away would ensure this. Not far from the edge of the tree line, where the fire had not yet started, a small cabin sat nestled under a giant tree. The tree was like a massive beacon set apart from the rest of the forest. It appeared to have taken it upon itself to stand guard over the little house that sat beneath it. He knew instantly that this would be Serenity's home. She always looked for significance in things, and this tree certainly offered something. He sprinted towards it, hoping he would not be spotted. He wanted more than ever to rid the world of the Asaur. They had taken so much from him. He made it to the front porch and instantly hunkered down, peering over the rail, 
to ascertain he had not been seen. Some of the assault were making their way to the untouched part of the forest, torches ablaze, ready to set fire to the last remaining trees. Huxley gritted his teeth. His hatred for these monsters was overwhelming. He forced his gaze from them and carefully made his way to the door. He reached up, turning the knob and gently edged it open. He half crawled, half shuffled inside before closing the door behind him. He let out a slow breath and waited for a moment for his eyes to get accustomed to the gloom. Huxley made his way to one of the rooms. He could hear a soft chanting. Serenity and Anger sat cross-legged on colourful cushions, their eyes closed. He was unsure of what to do. He did not know if he should interrupt them and rouse them from their dreaming state. He sat contemplating what the next step should be. Serenity's eyes flew open. Huxley, what is it? Her tone was worried. You must leave. They're coming to burn down your house. Now! Huxley hissed. He felt panicked. The assault would not waste time when they saw the only home that had not been set alight. Serenity tapped Enja. She had no choice but to distract her from her mind travel. Enja simply nodded and stood waiting for Huxley to lead the way. Is there a back door? he asked. Serenity nodded and led him to the back of the house. Huxley motioned for the women to wait as he opened the door just slightly, scanning the forest that lay behind it. The smell of smoke filled the air and he struggled not to cough. There were two Basul holding torches as they put fire to the ancient trees. He suddenly wondered where he could lead Anger and Serenity. There were no safe hiding places anymore. Closed the door and looked at the two women, his face an ashen white. What is it? Serenity demanded. Huxley swallowed. He would have to tell them. I don't know where to hide. They set him fire to the other side of the forest. Take us to the tree that stands above the home. It will provide a safe haven, Serenity told the young man. Huxley frowned. He was unsure if this was a good idea. The tree stood high above the village, not at all subtle in appearance. Trust me, Serenity could see Huxley's dilemma as she tried to ease the young man's doubts. Huxley merely nodded once again opened the door enough for him to peer out. The Usaw had noticed the house and were making their way towards it. Huxley would have to distract them, and he instantly knew that this would be his ending. He closed the door again and took a deep breath. His heart was beginning to pound. He fingered the handle of the sword for reassurance. You and Andrew run, I'll distract them, he said. Serenity began to say something, but Huxley did not wait. He pushed the door open, running headlong towards the assault. The assault was surprised to see a young man burst from the last house standing, making his way towards them. Huxley roared, letting out the built-up anger, letting the built-up anger come to fruition. He had held it in for so long and now he used it to fuel his attack. The Usaw were caught off guard and were slow to reach for their swords. One of them threw the torch, attempt to set Huxley on fire. Huxley dodged and drove his sword into the monster's heart. The other Usaw was upon Huxley, slicing the man and tearing open his back. Huxley felt the hot pain from the wound that the Usaw had made. He staggered and teetered as he turned to face his opponent. He let out a growl, his fury coming to a head. The Usaw stepped back, its face holding a taunting look, waiting for, his oppo- for its opponent to tr- strike back. Huxley sent a prayer to the gods before he lunged towards the Usaw. 
Serenity watched as Huxley raced towards the assault. She knew he was giving his life to save them. She forced her gaze away from the unfolding scene and grabbed Angie's hand before making her way to the ancient tree. The tree had been expecting them. Its long, wide roots snaked around the home like giant fingers. The finger-like roots burrowed deeper, splitting the ground open and creating a space for Serenity and Anja to step into. Serenity did not waste any time. It was important that she took up her humming again. She trusted the tree, knowing it would protect them. She also knew the Asur would burn it to the ground, but it would be too late. They would be safely hidden under the giant root system that stretched itself into the depths of the earth. Eleanor did not allow the babies to have a full feed. They did not have time. She felt a sense to run and could not shake the feeling. She carefully hoisted the carry bag, bag back onto her back. Edith, I think we have something following us. The feeling was starting to intensify. Edith nodded. I do too. Best we make haste. The small woman did not waste any time in calling out to the group to hurry. They could not run. There were too many of them in no condition to do so. But they could walk fast. They had to make it to the underground cave the seer had told them about. There they would wait for the rest of the village. Eleanor's heart raced and her breaths came out heavy and ragged. She urged her group to move faster. They had to get to the cave. As Eleanor half walked, half jogged, she looked behind her. She was the last of the group, encouraging the stragglers, and as she cast her eyes back down the long, dark tunnel behind her, she could make out a light. The feeling that it was not Kriya sat with her, and she felt her heart flutter. She instinctively touched her small dagger, strapped to her waist. ''Hurry!'' she shouted. The Yasur was gaining on them, and she knew they would never be able to outrun them. She grabbed the old man in front of her, in front of her's tunic. ''Wait, you have to take my babies. Please give them to Edith when you get to the cave.'' She quickly took off the carry bag, thrusting it towards the man. She did not wait for his response. Instead, she grabbed her dagger from her waist belt and made her way to the light that was quickly approaching. Priya saw the stream. The trees were fervently whispering as if trying to encourage her and confirm that she was in the right place. She quickly scanned for a way to get to the tunnel, still not sure if she should try and, try and dig her way in. Romulus began to whimper and whine, scratching at the ground. Kriya looked at the wolf. There, under the leaf litter, was a cavity. She rushed to the wolf's side, joining him in digging, making the cavity wide enough for her and the wolf to squeeze through. The tree's fervent whispering had become a crescendo of nature's notes, an attempt at shouting a battle cry, a defiance of demise. Kriya lowered herself in. She turned to look up at the big wolf. He looked at her hesitantly before jumping into her arms. Kriya staggered back. Romulus was heavy. She carefully placed him on the ground, giving him the signal to find again. She was unsure if she was in front of the group or behind. Romulus sniffed the air before lowering his nose to the ground. He gave a low growl and began to edge his way forward. Kriya readied her sword. The Asur were not far away. They cautiously moved forward. The darkness of the tunnel blinded Kriya and she strained to listen to the wolf, using her ears to follow him. It was not long before she saw a light ahead, instinctively knowing it was with this it was the assault. She felt herself smile. It would not be expecting them. Romulus gave a low growl as he warily made his way towards the, the assault.
Kriya waited until the last moment, until they were almost upon the beast, before she raised her sword and plunged it deep into its back. The animal let out a blood-curdling scream as it spun around to face. Romulus leapt, teeth barred, going for the monster's throat. Eleanor had caught up with the assault and had seen Kriya's attack. She wasted no time in sinking her small dagger into its back as it turned to face Kriya. The animal roared in pain, the dagger stuck in its thick hide alongside the gaping hole Kriya had made with her sword. The Asaur felt the wolf clamp its jaws around its neck as it reeled from Eleanor's attack. It stood no chance. It let out another soul-piercing cry as it stumbled, trying to fight off the wolf that was fastened to its neck. Kriya dove forward, slicing the beast at its knees, crippling it as it crashed to the tunnel's floor. Romulus had let go of his hold as he felt the beast begin to topple. Kriya was upon the beast, hacking and striking, her despise for their enemy coursing through the blows she made against it. Eleanor let her go, understanding the hate and loathing she was venting. Kriya felt her arms tremble, her breath heavy, as finally she took a step back. She wiped her mouth before hawking and spitting at the dead monster that lay in front of her. She leant back against the tunnel wall, trying to get her breath back. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath before letting it out slowly. She she was thankful it was only one that had managed to get into the tunnel. They were strong and like no other enemy she had ever encountered before. Kriya? Eleanor offered her a smile as Kriya opened her eyes to look at her sister-in-law. Thank you, Kriya chuckled. No problem, Nori. Eleanor sighed and both women began to giggle before laughter took them in its hysteria. Ada and the seer searched for Merrick, destroying every assault that stood in their way. The stench of burning flesh, trees and blood filled the night air. As Ada looked around her, she noticed the assault retreating. Your attack on the Queen has worked. They are going to her aid. The generals have been crippled, succumbing to an eternity of madness. The Queen will need to gather her army around her. The seer watched in fascination as the Asaur turned to flee. How do you know we have not killed her? Ada knew the battle had not finished. There will be another time for that. The seer paused in his stride. Ada stopped and followed the seer's gaze. Many of Merrick's warriors had perished. Others had fallen exhausted. It would have been an easy war for the Asaur to win. Humans had only a finite source of energy, one of their weaknesses in fighting with demons. Merrick was locked in a battle with one of the Asaur. However, this Asaur seemed different to the others. It was taller and broader. A different helmet sat upon its ugly head. Various combat tools were strapped across the heavy belt that adorned its waist. Merrick was losing... He was no match for the huge beast. He yielded his sword, swinging and hacking at the animal. He was growing tired, legs trembling under him. His arms ached and shook. It had been a long day and a longer night. He was determined not to give in to his exhaustion. He had to save his family. The beast roared, barring its teeth as it sensed Merrick was tiring. Ada held up her arms, aiming to strike the monster that was determined to kill and bring down her father. The seer gently pushed down Ada's arms. It will not work with this one. Ada turned to look at the seer. A frown puckered on her face. You wanted to know who the king of Asaur was? Well, he stands here in front of you. Ada turned her attention back to her father. Merrick's sword clashed with the giant Asaur, 
metal against metal rang out in the air. What are we going to do? Ada asked in a panicked voice. I will distract the demon, and you will run and find serenity. You will know what to do after that. Ada was confused and she shook her head, trying to make sense of what the seer was telling her to do. Now, Ada! The seer yelled at her. Ada took a step back as she watched in horror as the seer made his way towards the huge beast. The Asaur paused in his attack on Merrick, his sword poised in the air. A smile broke out on its face as it noticed the seer come towards it. Ada felt her heart in her throat. A sickening feeling descended upon her. The Asaur threw down its sword, and letting out a loud guttural sound, it made its way towards the seer. Merrick watched in morbid fascination as the Asaur reached for the seer, picking him up like he was nothing at all. It threw its head back, letting out a loud roar that reverberated throughout the dark night. Papa! Ada had found her voice as she raced towards her father. Merrick tore his eyes away from the Asaur and ran towards his daughter. Quick, you must follow me, Ada told her father. Merrick did not argue or ask questions. They needed to flee before the king of the Asaur came looking for them. Merrick threw one long look back at the Asaur. It had lifted the seer high in the air, as if examining the man. Its tongue darted out as if tasting him. A feeling of revulsion coursed through Merrick. The Asaur again, once again let out a loud roar, before reaching inside the seer's chest to rip out his heart. Merrick and Ada came to a stop, hiding behind a smouldering house. They peered out and watched in horror as the Asaur consumed the seer's heart, licking and smacking its lips as if it had just eaten a tasty treat. Ada felt nausea sweep over her. She fell to her knees, covering her face, before sobs began to engulf her. Ada, come, we must leave. Merrick lifted Ada back to her feet. She nodded, and suddenly knew why the seer had never been able to see his own death. It simply would have been too traumatic. The gods had spared him, and he had not let them down, giving his own life to save the fate of humanity. So thank you for listening. I appreciate your time and truly am grateful. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe where you listen to all your favourite podcasts. Take care, everyone, and see you next week on The Story, the podcast where great stories are told. Bye for now.